female folk singer is dead after she was attacked by a pair of coyotes. What is the monkey doing? Tell me what's going on. He hit your face off! We actually have a trainer in the water with one of our whales. If I show weakness, if I retreat, I may be hurt, I may be killed. Baby Azaria Chamberlain was taken by a dingo back in 1980. G'day, and welcome back to another episode of Man It Is, the only true crime podcast on the entire fucking internet where all the killers are real animals, whether it's biting, scratchings, maulings, or clawings. You know I'm here to talk about it. My name is James Chapman. I am your host, and uh, thank you for joining me. It's our first episode in like two weeks. Uh, I do I do apologize for the lack of an episode last week. Um, this was meant to come out, but I just ran out of time. I ran out of time, and I just dropped my glasses, and I ran out of time to record uh, last week. Oh, I was in the theater again uh, doing uh, The War of the Worlds with Hunter Drama, Obviously, you guys have listened for a while. You know my other, my main job is um, he's uh, working in theater. We did a fantastic production of War of the Worlds. The kids had a great time. Thank you to everyone who came along. I don't know if any of the people who came along listened to the show, but uh, if you did. If there is that cross-section there, thank you so much for supporting it. Uh, but it's good to be back. I've been looking forward to this episode for a while. Today we're talking about um, octopuses or octopi. Is it octopi, octopuses? Octopuses. Pussies, uh, squids, uh, um, uh, cuttlefish, all those kind of things. Though they're all cephalopods. So today it is the world's first cephalopodcast. Uh, I have been sitting on that pun, that portmanteau, for for a week, uh, and um, yeah, no, I don't, I don't think it was worth it. Um, let me try that again. It's the world's first Cephla podcast. No, it's not going to get better. Uh, let's let's just let's just jump onto it from there. Um, yeah. So today, I, I was curious a while ago. You know, um, one of the animals I was told to fear a lot when I was a kid was was octopus, octopuses, um, and squids and stuff like that. Um, but the more I like have been doing this podcast, I've been doing this for nearly two years. I've never heard of a story of someone actually being killed by them. And obviously, there's stories of shipwrecks and ships being attacked by um, giant squid. But those are then often like. Uh, mythologized and turned into stories about the Kraken and stuff like that. So is it a real thing or not? So I've done a little bit, a wee little bit of research for you today, and I've gathered all the stories I could find about people being attacked by octopuses, uh, by squids and all those kinds of creepy, crawly, uh, lovely, jubbly things. Um, yeah, you know, this episode is, it's, uh, it's going to teach you to fear cephalopods, not have sex with them like those Japanese cartoons what's with that can I just make a little sidebar I've never I don't get that I understand that like the Japanese culture is a little weird for whatever reason I think maybe having uh, two nukes dropped on them at some point might have just fucked with them a little bit but uh, like it it's not even I, I, I don't even find it sexy I, I really don't I don't get how um having a giant tentacle molested Japanese schoolgirl in a uniform is is hot at all. I don't find any of that section that's the uh that sentence sexy at all. The tentacle, the schoolgirl, the school uniform. I guess Japanese Japan's kind of a sexy country. I yeah. I do like <laughs> I'm going to stop talking cuz I'm going to get myself in trouble. I want to go to Japan and I don't want them to ban me before I get my uh, my chance. So, let's let's just get off that right now and start talking about cephalopods in an episode I am naming. Drumroll please. 
Attack of the Cephalopods. So, cephalopods, including octopuses, squids, and cuttlefish, can all be potentially dangerous to humans in certain situations. Now, while most of these species are generally not aggressive towards humans, they do possess some characteristics that can pose risk to human life. For example, some species uh, have dangerous bites. Um, they have, have bird-like beaks in their mouths that can pierce skin and cause injury. Additionally, some species can release venom, which can cause discomfort or even kill uh, human beings. Of course, we talked about the blue ring octopus last week. Cephalopods also have a defensive tactic called ink sacs, which, uh, which when triggered, they release a cloud of ink into the water. This can obscure, uh, sorry, this obscures their escape route, but can also create a dangerous situation, potentially reducing visibility for divers or confusion for nearby predators such as sharks. These creatures are also masters of camouflage, able to rapidly change color and texture to blend into their surroundings. And while this behavior is mainly used for defensive purposes to evade predators, it can inadvertently lead to encounters with unsuspecting humans who may have inadvertently provoked them. Now, furthermore, some cephalopods, like squids, have jet propulsion abilities, which is a very cool sentence to read out loud. By expelling water from their bodies, they can move rapidly through bodies of water. Now, while this is usually used for escape from predators, it can create a forceful water movement that can be hazardous to swimmers or divers who are in close proximity. And finally, of course, the cephalopod's most uh, distinctive feature, their tentacles. Uh, squids and octopuses have powerful and flexible tentacles adorned with suction cups that while they may attempt to grab onto objects they perceive as food or potential threats, now, while such behavior is uncommon with humans, accidental encounters or deliberate attempts to handle them can lead to unintended consequences. Cephalopod attacks on humans have been reported since ancient times. A significant portion of these attacks are questionable or unverified tabloid stories. Cephalopods are members of the class Cephalopoda, which includes all squids, octopuses, cuttlefish, and nautiluses. Some members of these groups are capable of causing injury and death to humans, and we are going to go through uh, the members of this species or this member of this family, uh, which can cause the most uh, dangerous situations to humans, starting, of course, with the most common, the common octopus. The common octopus is the octopus you think of when I say octopus, right? I Close your eyes. Even if you're driving, you know the you know the drill. Octopus. What you just had pop into your head, that's what this thing looks like. It's considered to be the most intelligent of all invertebrates. The common octopus is found in tropical and temperate waters of the world's oceans. They can grow to about 4.3 feet in length, and they weigh up to 22 pounds, although averages are much smaller. They prey on crabs, crayfish, mollusks, and will sometimes use their ink to disorient their victims before attacking. So I have here a list of uh, people who have claimed to have been attacked by common octopuses or who have reported attacks from common octopuses. The first one is from a person named Alfred Brehm. I believe German, maybe? Alfred Brehm. This guy was making his moves um, in the 1800s. Um, so Alfred Brehm, he was one of the most significant naturalists of the 19th century. Naturalists, I believe, means the study of nature, not walking around naked, just for anyone who's confused by that. Um, in the section on the giant squid in his famous book, The Life of Animals, he mentions... <clears throat> I don't know what nationality is, so we're just going to make him British. 
Or should we make him German? Let's let's go German. Uh, in yes, in Life of Animals, he mentions most of his data of these giant octopuses can be found in Montfort's books, The Natural History of Mollusks. There is talk of a sea monster grabbing the master of a ship down off the coast of Angola with his arms and almost pulling the ship down into the abyss. On the occasion of which the lucky crew member painted the danger, the great danger, in a vowel in the chapel of Saint Thomas in Malo, he further talks about another creature in the wake of Montfort, Captain Dens. It pulled some sailors off the ship's rack with his arms near St. Ilola. The end of one arm, which was stuck in the rigging of the ship, which had been cut off, proved to be 25 feet long and had several rows of suction discs on it. Um, I distracted myself with my amazing German accent, but essentially what he's saying is a bunch of people were kind of pulled off the ship uh, by potentially a giant octopus. Of, of course, this is from the 1800s, so it's very hard to verify this one. Um, but closer to, you know, uh, recent times, still in the 1800s, this guy was from, like, he was born in 1869 and he died in 1932, so m more recent. Um, an American traveler named Frederick O'Brien, he reports that during his research in the Marquis Islands, that a relative of one of the locals was killed by a large octopus living in the coastal countryside. Another story uh, took place on an undetermined date, but we know that it was some point in the early 20th century. A diver was attacked by a large octopus in the military port of Toulon. The diver almost drowned and lost consciousness. Luckily, the diver's companions were able to pull him out of the water. Only then could they remove the animal. The octopus weighed about 60 kilograms and had eight legs. Which is obvious. I'm misread that. Sorry, had legs eight meters long. That's Jesus Christ. That's huge. Holy moly, that is a big octopusy. Um, according, this is a new story. According to Pernetti in uh, the book Voyage Ulier Maloni, <laughs> my French is as good as my German. Um, off the coast of Angola, a huge eight-armed octopus, we've mentioned that eight arms is kind of standard, we don't have to keep saying that, a huge eight-armed octopus climbed aboard. It was so severe that the ship capsized halfway. The rest of the story is unknown. Um, now, Victor Hugo, I, I thought he might come up in this. Victor Hugo, of course, the guy who wrote 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Uh, in French writer Victor Hugo's novel, Toilers of the Sea, an imaginary fight between the novel's main hero and an octopus takes place. Hugo also comments on the allegations of similar events. Uh, an engraving in Sonetti's edition of Buffoon represents a cephalotopera crushing a frigate. <laughs> I just have to go, I can't do the accent. Dennis Monfort, who we mentioned in a previous uh, story, in fact, considers the pulp or the octopod of high latitude strong enough to destroy a ship. Bory St. Vincent doubts this, but he shows that in our regions, they will attack men. Near Brecht Hu in Sark, they show a cave where a devil fish a few years since seized and drowned a lobster fisher. <laughs> I think the devilfish is their word for octopus. Peron and Lamarck are in error in their belief that their pulp, having no fins, cannot swim. He who writes these lines has seen with his own eyes at Sark in the cavern called Botui... Bo 
but towards a puav swimming and pursuing a bather. When captured and killed, this specimen was found to be four English feet broad, and it was possible to count 400 suckers. Uh, 400 suckers, by the way, that's a Trump rally. Oh, political, political. Sorry, I don't mean to get political. I love you all. The monster thrust them out convulsively in the agony of his death. Other sources confirm one of these stories. Um, I realize that this is very poorly written, but it's very old and he was French, so that's probably why. Now, while octopuses generally avoid human uh, humans, attacks have occasionally been verified. For example, a 240 centimeter, which is about eight foot, Pacific octopus said to be nearly camouflage, approached a diver and attempted to wrap itself around the diver and his camera. Another diver recorded the encounter on video. Uh, the divers speculated that the octopus may have thought its reflection in the camera lens was a smaller octopus, which may have motivated it to attack. Now, there was apparently a supposed octopus attack on a Staten Island ferry in New York City, which allegedly led to the loss of the ferry and commemorated is commemorated by a bronze sculpture installed in 2016. Uh, this never actually occurred. It was all a prank, um, nor was there ever such a ferry disaster. The artist responsible for the sculpture admitted that it was a multimedia art project and social experiment, not maliciously uh, aimed uh, to talk about how gullible people can be. Now, we've talked about a few stories. At this point of the episode, we need to stop and we need to have a serious talk about octopus wrestling. Have you ever heard of octopus wrestling before? No, you haven't, because I haven't heard of it, and I host a podcast all about this shit. I make it my business to know this weird stuff. Okay, so in researching all this uh, lovely, <laughs> lovely stuff about my favorite cephalopod, the octopus, um, I learned that there is apparently uh, a sport that was quite popular in the 1960s called octopus wrestling. So I've got some information for you. Uh, essentially, what octopus wrestling was, was divers would willingly grapple with octopuses um, and <laughs> in a sport called octopus wrestling. It was a then popular sport in coastal areas of the United States. So it just goes to show that, uh, you know, it's been 60 years since it's happened. The U.S. has not recently become crazy. They were doing weird shit the whole time. Octopus wrestling involves a diver grappling with a large octopus in shallow water and dragging it to the surface. So although it's called wrestling, it's not actually wrestling per se. Um, as most octopuses, as we have talked about, they're rather skittish and they would rather fuck off rather than engaging with a weird... <laughs> American with a dad bod wading into your house. Um, they're not aggressive at all unless they are provoked, which, uh, you know, usually provocation ends with an octopus fucking off. Um, but sometimes they're not able to fuck off fast enough and they end up being wrestled by some guy. The contestants were usually only searching in holes uh, in along rocks and in the ocean to grab the head of an octopus. Once a diver caught an octopus, he continued to pull up until the animal gave up. Isn't that fucking weird? An early article on octopus wrestling appeared in a 1949 issue of Mechanics Illustrated, which is a weird... I mean, I don't know if Mechanics is spelled Mechanics with an X at the end, so maybe it's a different thing, but it's a weird... If it's about mechanics, like cars, what, it, that's odd. I don't know why. I don't understand the relevance of wrestling an octopus out of its home <laughs> to someone who's just like trying to buy a new muffler, but whatever. Um, <laughs> a report from the Toledo Blade. The Toledo Blade. By the way, the Toledo Blade. What a fucking cool name for for an, uh, a newspaper or a magazine. The, they 
old old publications had the best names. I believe there was like one called the Louisiana Battle Axe or something like that. Just they're just cool. The Toledo Blade reports um, that in 1957, 200 people gathered to watch an octopus wrestling event in Puget Sound near Tacoma, Washington. A team from Portland. They had teams. They had teams in this sport. Wow. What, what did you do on the weekend? Oh, me and my team went octopus wrestling. We won, by the way, because we caught an 80-pound octopus. <laughs> the team from Portland and Oregon, yeah, well, they won the contest by catching an 80-pound octopus. <laughs> octopus wrestling reached the height of its popularity on the West Coast. Yeah, it does feel like a West Coast thing, doesn't it? On the West Coast of the United States during the 1960s. Yeah, I imagine <laughs> Californians maybe just all blazed out of their fucking mind during the 60s, going down to the beach and <laughs> yanking an octopus out of a rock pool. <laughs> it's such a funny visual, sorry. <laughs> I hope that you're getting the same visual image in your brain as I am right now. I'm just imagining this like <laughs> this buff dude in a speedo <laughs> and his budgie smugglers walking, <laughs> jumping into a knee higher rock pool and <laughs> pulling a poor octopus out. <laughs> the octopus's family. <laughs> The, the octopus's family is like, wait, no, come back. Oh, sorry. I don't think I've laughed this hard on one of these episodes for a very long time. Oh. Gary, why? Gary, why didn't you take the garbage out? Well, I was going to Sharon, but but some blonde head beach bimbo yanked me out of the hole. <laughs> oh, fucking wild. At that time, the... Oh, God damn it. Get this. Okay. So octopus wrestling reached the height of its popularity on the west coast of the United States during the 1960s. At that time, the annual World Octopus Wrestling Championships... <laughs> This can't be real. This is so fucking weird. The annual World Octopus Wrestling Championships were held in Puget Sound, Washington. Yeah, what a great world championship event. Where is it? Is it in New York or is it in like Chicago or Los Angeles? No, it's in Puget Sound, Washington. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> the event was televised. And attract up to 5,000 spectators. What the fuck? That's crazy. Wow. Trophies were awarded to the individual divers and teams who caught the largest animals. Oh, God damn it. This next... Afterwards, the octopuses were either eaten... Jesus, given to the local aquarium, or returned to the sea. Jesus. Sharon, it could have been worse. I'm sorry I didn't take the bins out, but I could have been eaten. I could have been a family of four's Thanksgiving dinner. Oh. <laughs> now I'm just imagining a Thanksgiving dinner where it's just like a big fucking octopus in the middle of the table. Anyway, octopus is delicious, by the way, if you haven't tried it. In April 1963, 111 divers took part in the World Octopus Wrestling Championships. 
A total of 25 giant Pacific octopuses were captured that day, ranging in in weight from 4 to 57 pounds, which in a normal person is 1.8 to 25.9 kilograms. That's heavy. Um, (laughs) Due to a deal... What the fucking hell? Oh, my God. Due to a deal to televise the championships and as not sufficient octopuses could be found at the beach... The, the organizers placed several octopuses, which the, <laughs> this is the best thing ever. So <laughs> they didn't. The beach didn't have enough octopuses, so they like they placed octopuses there, like stocking a pond full of cod. <laughs> they couldn't. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> they placed several octopuses which they had caught in advance of the contest along the beach to promise action and to ensure a successful contest. <laughs> yeah, I guess that I guess that ensures it. God damn, this is so fucking funny. H. Allen Smith wrote an article for True Magazine in 1964, collected in Low Man Rides Again, 1973, about a man named O'Rourke, whom he dubs the father of octopus wrestling. Jesus Christ, imagine if that was your dad. According to information Smith collected from Edouard Jones and other sources, O'Rourke and a partner developed a business in the late 1940s of fishing for octopuses, with O'Rourke serving as life with a rock serving as live bait and his partner hauling him out of the water after an octopus was sufficiently wrapped around him. <laughs> oh, God, imagine going into a board meeting or a pitch meeting and this guy's like, I have a plan. We have a business opportunity for you to invest in. Okay, uh, sounds great, Mr. O'Rourke. Tell us, what are you thinking? Is it, uh, Are you investing in the stock market? Do you have a new invention? No, I have a way to fish for octopuses. Okay, cool. Feel like we had that already, but what's your plan, Mr. O'Rourke? Right, well, what happens is I I just jump into the ocean until an octopus sufficiently wraps around me, and then my, f- my fucking buddy, Cleet, he yanks me out of the water, and we dine an octopus for weeks. Jesus. Uh- now, apparently, um, all of this, apparently O'Rourke was becoming perhaps the world's greatest authority on the thought processes and the personality of the octopus. He knew how to outmaneuver them, outflank them, and to outthink them. He knew well, very years, he knew full well many years ago what today's octopus wrestlers are beginning to learn, that it is impossible for a man with two arms to apply a full Nelson on an octopus. This was published, someone wrote this and was paid for it. It is impossible for a man with two arms to apply a full Nelson on an octopus. He knew full well the futility. Oh, come on. This can't be real. He knew, he knew full well the futility of trying for a crotch hold on an opponent with eight crotches. <laughs> I don't know if octopuses technically have eight crotches. I don't know how that works. I guess maybe. <laughs> and a 1965 issue of Time magazine documented the growing popularity of octopus wrestling as follows. 
Merely to minnow in about water is no longer enough, as such sports as octopus wrestling are coming increasingly into vogue, particularly in the Pacific Northwest, where the critters grow up to 90 pounds and can be exceedingly tough customers. Although there are several accepted techniques for octopus wrestling, the really sporty way requires that the human diver go without artificial breathing apparatus. That's right, if you go octopus wrestling with a scuba tank, you're a fucking pussy. <laughs> Wild. That's all the information I can find about octopus wrestling. Oh, God. I'm having a great time. <laughs> okay. So. God, okay. Sorry. Okay. Pull it together, Chapman. Come on. It's all right. Let's uh, let's talk a little bit more about a different uh, type of cephalopod. We're talking about the giant or the colossal squid. Now, in my mind, the this was where the real danger would come from. So, when we think about colossal squid or giant squid, the most common question that arises about giant squids is whether or not these huge animals actually do attack humans or possess a threat to ships. Now, we must answer this question in the affirmative. Yes, they do pose a threat. However, uh, certainly not in the case of modern cruise ships. There's no doubt, uh, however, that a smaller ship or boat, particularly a wooden boat used in olden times, can be occasionally attacked by such a giant animal. The fact that there are so there are a few examples of this uh, is obviously due to the fact that the giants do not come close to the surface. That's right, giant squids are... Uh, well, I can't remember the, the, the zone of the ocean they live in, but they live deep down, so it's very rare for them to come up. Um, now, this is also good fortune for humans because if it were not, it would certainly have posed a danger to boaters. I would also posit a little what if for you, that if giant squids and colossal squids uh, lived in the upper levels of the ocean, like that was their habitat, um, I would posit that uh, human history would be very different. I think that uh, nautical travel and exploration would have been far more dangerous if you had these goddamn fucking krakens <laughs> at any point could just reach up and pull your uh, your whole fucking family under the water and kill you. Uh, either that or we would have hunted them to extinction because we need to go to America. We need spices. We need land. We need slaves. That is uh, me speaking as a European colonizer. <laughs> Reliable witnesses report that the giant squid has attacked ships in recent times, even large ships. The arch... 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 Udithis, that's a shit name, uh, purportedly swam around a ship. Oh, that's just a name for a giant squid. Okay, the giant squid reportedly swam around the ship, traveling at speeds of up to 40 kilometers per hour. And by the way, this is a fucking phenomenal speed for an aquatic animal. Um, we have no idea how fast a um, giant squid can get. Um, and it launched its attack. We can assume that the hull of the ship could have been viewed as the body of of the Patagonian toothfish as the places they try to bite into were where the brains were located. Uh, how true this is, assumption is, uh, sorry, will be revealed one day. Uh, so we shouldn't always think of a giant squid uh, stories as tales, but we also have to take into account that they mostly, uh, they mostly thoroughly colored. Dr. Wolfgang Krom wrote that in 1977. I kind of embellished a little bit. Basically what he's saying is that the idea that um, giant squids attacking ships, it's not fantasy. It's not entirely fantasy, but it's also not... Uh 
as dramatic as we might say. So the French ship Ville d'Alle Paris, <laughs> what was that? Ville de Paris. Yeah, nailed it. This ship participated in the American War for Independence. She sailed in the company of nine other ships when she was attacked by a huge giant squid or multiple giant squids and dragged down into the deep. However, other sources claim the ship sank in a storm in 1782. Both of those are very different stories. It would be nice if we could have had some confirmation on that. Uh, another story in, uh, regarding a giant squid or colossal squid. Based on other sources, a Hungarian traveler, Dr. Endrik Jekyll, tells several of the above stories. On the 26th of October, 1873, three men were fishing in the Belle Isle in Newfoundland and Labrador. They were attacked by a huge giant squid, but one of the fishermen cut off one of the squid's arms. Based on this arm, the length of the animal was subsequently estimated to be at 14 meters long. For the Americans, that is 46 feet on the shore. Another story. Sailors cleaning a ship near St. Leona Island and Cape uh, Nigra? That's a scary word to say. N-I-G-R-A. Nigra, I'm going to say that, uh, were attacked by a giant squid. Two were pulled into the deep and a third later died from injuries sustained during the attack. One of the squid's arms severed in the attack was 7.5 meters in length. The full arm was estimated to be about 10 meters long. Based on this, the entire animal would have been much larger. And then in 1873, uh, a fishing boat in Conception Bay, Newfoundland, was attacked by a giant squid. Numerous letters about the incident stated a severed tentacle was recovered. I also, for our Canadian listeners, I just want you to appreciate um, how I pronounce Newfoundland. Um, it's not Newfoundland. I've seen Come From Away, the fantastic Broadway musical. Have you seen Come From Away, guys? My goodness, it came to Newcastle recently. It was fucking spectacular. I loved it. In, sorry, I got a little carried away there. Um, in 1874, a report appeared in an Indian newspaper stating that on, 10, on the 10th of May of the current year, a ship called the Stra uh, Strathuan was leaving Colombo for Madras through the Bay of Bengal. In the distance, a small sailboat appeared to which a huge crowd swam with a whipping movement and then climbed onto it. It was a giant squid or giant octopus. The small ship soon capsized and then sank. The crew of the small boat got into the water, but they were picked up by the crew of the Strathamwyn. Its captain, James Floyd, uh, reported that the small ship called the Pearl, weighing 140 tons, they claimed themselves shot the, sorry, they claimed that they themselves shot the squid floating in silence, which made him furious and climbing onto the ship. Two sailors died in the squid attack, and a third disappeared, perhaps drowned. Five people escaped the Pearl. The squid body was said to be at least as thick as the small ship and its arms thick as wood. In the 1930s, Norwegian tanker Brunswick reported having been attacked by a giant squid in the South Pacific between Hawaii and Samoa. The animal tried unsuccessfully to grip the ship with its tentacles before being killed by the propellers. Ooh, that's some juicy calamari. Uh, this story was actually validated by common, uh, Commandeer on Groidzing... Fuck you, Norway. Just say commander of the Royal Norwegian Navy, uh, stating that the ship had not one, but three encounters with giant squids between the 19, uh, between 1930 and 1933. 
Another story. A giant squid allegedly attacked a raft with survivors from the Britannia in 1941, which had sunk in the South Atlantic. One of the men was dragged away by the squid, and another, Lieutenant Raymond Edmund Griminary Cox, managed to narrowly escape the same fate, though suffering tentacle sucker wounds. Uh, I think that's a lie. I think he just got a hickey from a uh, from a woman at port, and that was his excuse. Sorry, love. That's not what you think. I'm not cheating on you with a sex worker at the dock. It was a giant squid sucker. <laughs> That's probably a good one to try, I think. <laughs> Guys, if you're going to get caught, just do it. Why, why am I giving you advice? Fuck you. You're bad people. Anyway, the Chronicle um, of the Survivors was first told in 1941 by the London Illustrated News, which stated that according to the account given by them by Cox, a survivor first had his legs bitten off by a shark and then was devoured by a giant manta ray. I don't think that's true. I don't think manta rays eat people. But in 1956, Cox himself contacted writer Frank W. Lane to tell his story. They required marine naturalist John Cloudsley Thompson to examine Cox's scars at Burbeck College, and the former further validated the story, assuring that the marks between uh, one and one quarter inches in size belonged to a 23-foot long squid. The story has been called the only substantiated report of a giant squid killing humans. However, other authors have called it into question, considering it an urban legend. To me, that's enough evidence to say that this did, that did happen. Anyway, um, another story. In 1978, we're getting very recent now. In 1978, the USS Stein was apparently attacked by a giant squid. The ship's no-foul rubber coating was damaged with multiple cuts containing evidence of claws found in the squid's tentacles. I didn't know that. Apparently, the giant squid tentacles have little, like, claws in them, which, you know, I thought they were just, like, suckers, like you would find on, like, a little sticky toy, like a little thing you want to stick to the wall in the shower. Um, the next story occurred in 1989. Uh, a Philippine fisherman rescued 12 survivors clinging to an overturned boat. They alleged that a giant octopus or giant squid turned the boat upside down, but it did not attack them afterwards. Yet the incident has one fatal outcome. A 12-year-old boy was drowned. In 2003, the crew of a yacht competing to win the Round the World Jules Verne Trophy reported being attacked by a giant squid several hours after departing from Brittany in France. The squid purportedly latched onto the ship and blocked the rudder with its two tentacles. Olivia de Curson, captain of the yacht, stopped the boat, causing the squid to lose interest. We did not have anything to scare off this beast, so I don't know what we would have done if it didn't let go, Kirsten said, being fucking French. Um, <laughs> like we have time to talk about one more cephalopod. I'm going to talk about the Humboldt squid. Never heard of the Humboldt squid before I researched this episode. But it's a cool little animal, and I'm a big, I'm a big fan of it. The Humboldt squid is to, considered to be the largest of the Omastrophid squid family. The Humboldt squid can grow up to 8 feet and 2 inches long, which is 2.5 meters for our normal people, and it can weigh up to 100 pounds, which is 50 kilograms for our normal people. Typically, the adults reach a mantle, which is the body length, of 4 feet 11 inches, 1.5 meters. Humboldt squids are notorious for their aggression, hence their inclusion on the list and in this episode. In Mexico, I love this, in Mexico they are known as Diablo Rojo, Spanish for the Red Devil. Local fishermen uh, tales claim that people who fell into the waters were devoured within minutes by packs of squid. 
wildlife filmmaker Scott Castle made the documentary Humboldt, the, the man-eating squid for the Dangerous Water series on the Discovery Channel. I don't have the Discovery Channel, uh, but if I get it, I will, I will watch that. Now, there is some disagreement on the veracity of the Humboldt squid's aggression. Some scientists claim the only reports of aggression towards humans have occurred when reflective diving gear or flashing lights have been present, acting as provocation. My, fla uh, you know, retort to, to that claim is, yeah, that still counts. It doesn't really matter what the circumstances are unless it's like the animal was attacked first by the human. It doesn't really matter for us like why it was attacked because you were wearing a shiny, you know, high-vis vest or you had a flashlight. It doesn't matter. It does mean that the animal um, can act aggressive. Um, and of course, like obviously shining torches on animals can be seen as provocation. It's not intentional provocation. You know what I mean? There's a difference. Um, Roger... Uzen, a veteran scuba diver and amateur underwater videographer, swam with a swarm of Humboldt squids for approximately 20 minutes, 20 minutes, later saying they seemed more curious than aggressive. While not feeding or being hunted, Humboldt squid exhibit curious and intelligent behavior. Uh, Jeremy Wade deals with the Humboldt squid in his documentary, River Monsters. We've used the River Monsters as a, uh, as a source before. If you think back to one of our earlier episodes, I believe that was a... Um, a ferry disaster in the Amazon uh, where a bunch of people died and were eaten by unknown animals. Jeremy Way did an episode on that and he was one of our main sources. Uh, so yes, he's done a, an episode on the Humboldt squid. Uh, in this episode, a Californian a fisherman claims to have been attacked at a fish table one night as he tried to swim from one boat to another. In the same film, Peruvian fisherman considers this animal to be life-threatening. If one gets between them, they will be dragged down into the deep. In another film by naturalist Steve Blackshaw, the fishermen report, among other things, that a fisherman was caught in the abyss by a squid. Another fisherman was bitten by the squid on his skull, breaking it into pieces. Yikes. Yeah, I, I like... I, the veracity of the claims that any of these animals will attack and kill you is... It's in doubt. It's not like a tiger when we know they fucking kill people. Um, it, but it's also not like a cryptid where we don't know it exists. It's kind of in this nebulous, weird middle area. But I wouldn't want to swim with them <laughs> regardless. I just think the risk is too high. Now, of course, there are other cephalopods that can cause injury to people. We talked about one last week. That's why we're not going into great detail today. But uh, the blue-ringed octopus is obviously, if you're an Australian, you know all about the blue-ringed octopus. But if you don't, blue-ringed octopus, it's one of the smallest um, octopus species. They like to live in rock pools around the coast of Australia. I believe around the coast of almost all of Australia although I think when, once you get too south, it gets too cold for them. Um, they live in rock pools, and their biggest danger is that they're beautiful. Um, they have these beautiful, glowing, almost blue rings, kind of like neon, all over their body. Um, and children sometimes see them in the rock pools and pick them up, uh, and they, they are very venomous. They're one of... They're one of, if not the most venomous animals in the world. Um, and yeah, they, they can sting and they can kill a kid. Uh, they can kill a kid in minutes. They can kill an adult in maybe 10 or 15 minutes, I think, as well. So uh, I saw it, I saw one the other day, actually. I was uh, going, I was on a hike with my friend. We were going to a place called Shark Hole. I thought he was saying charcoal, like the black mineral rock. But no, Shark Hole, as in the anus of a shark. Uh, no, it was like a big big cove where sharks live um and we were there's like big rock pools we walked past we saw we saw some octopuses and i saw a little um uh blue ring octopus their their rings don't glow the reason they glow the rings it's kind of like a defense mechanism it's, it's basically saying to predators 
off your fuck. I'm not good for you. I will poison you and sting you and you will not like it. So uh, that's essentially what that's for, basically. Yeah. But we saw it um, and they, they, they cause uh, injury and death a lot. Another animal that I thought for a second would be on this list was jellyfish. But jellyfish, obviously, they're not cephalopods. I don't know why in my brain I had them because they've got long tentacles, I guess. And we'll talk about jellyfish another time because there are so many stories of those, particularly like the, uh, how do you pronounce it, the orange Ur- way or whatever. Um, and the, the box jellyfish, they're fucking wild animals. I don't want anything to do with them. Um, worse than cephalopods. But as we've learned, cephalopods, pretty bad. So we've talked about the common octopus and then giant squids and colossal squids and the humble squid and of course the, the blue ringed octopus as well. All animals that if I were to give any advice would be to just say yeah, just yeah, just back off a little bit. They're a little a little spooky. Um, that is it for our uh, you know section on attack of the cephalopods. I did tell you that this would be a two-parter episode and that's because next episode we are doing a killer cryptid episode all about the Kraken. One of the most interesting uh, f- you know little t- tidbits and facts about giant squids is that for the longest time in human history, we didn't actually know they existed. We thought they were mythological animals like we think of unicorns and dragons. Um, You know, they were just part of mythology, Uh, but no, but it turns out they were fucking real. You know, it's one of those animals where we didn't know they were real until recent times when they actually started showing up. Um, And so we're going to talk about the Kraken because there are lots of myths and legends that have to do with, uh, you know, tentacled sea monsters dragging ships down. And obviously some of them were true, but some of them weren't. And we're going to talk all about that and all about the mythology of the Kraken next week. So make sure you stick around for that. Okay, we're going to take a break now, a very short break. We might hear some messages, probably won't. (laughs) Uh, you'll hear a little bit of music, go and do a wee, have a vape and come back and we will have the rest of our episode ready to go. Go and do a wee. All right, you stinky little bitches. I'm back. How was your break? What did you get up to? I just went and lied on my bed and played with TikToks for a little bit. Okay, it is time for us to move on to our next segment. One of my favorite segments of the show. Of course, I'm talking about the scratch of the day. That's right, folks. It's the scratch of the day, the segment of the show. Where we go through the news in recent weeks and we talk about anything to do with animal attacks, animal human confrontation. Anytime one of our hairy, berry, creepy, crawly friends has fucked us over and uh, we're going to talk about it. Guys, what do you say? Should we talk about the sun bears? Let's do it. Let's talk about the sun bears. So I'm sure you already saw this. Um, it was viral for a few days, a few, like a week ago. Um, so <laughs> a story basically went viral because people started speculating that sun bears, particularly in a zoo in China, um, were not actually bears and they were just like um, dudes, <laughs> dudes dressed in um, <laughs> dudes dressed in bear costumes, which is a fantastic like it's this is I love the news. I love social media for this stuff. So I have found a news article. Of course, like let me just talk about my opinion on sun bears. Okay, sun bears are dumb. <laughs> They're goofy. They're so dumb. They're like Winnie the Poohs. Um, they look. <laughs> I will admit they look fake because when they stand up on their twos, they're, they're bum fat. Like it folds over and it just looks like baggy track pants or like sweatpants. Um, so I get it. But if you look at the face of the animal, you're like, yo, that's, there's no way that's fake. So let's just read the story. This is from uh, from CBS News, uh, NBC News. I'm so sorry. NBC News uh, reports. 
A zoo in eastern China has denied suggestions, or it's in Hong Kong, sorry. I guess that is technically in eastern China, although that's controversial. I think they don't want to be. I kind of forgot about the whole Hong Kong protest things because COVID happened. I wonder how they're going. Anyway, a zoo in eastern China has denied suggestions that its bears are in fact people dressed in costumes after a video of one standing like a human went viral on social media. Footage of the Malayan sun bear standing on its hind legs sparked speculation on the Chinese internet over the weekend, but the zoo in the eastern province of Zhejiang insisted that really it is just a bear, just a little smaller and different to the ones we're used to. Some people think I stand like a human, and it seems that you don't understand me that much, Hangzhou Zoo wrote on its official social media account on Sunday from the perspective of the bear in the video named Angela. That's a cute name. Previously, some tourists thought that I was too tiny to be a bear. I have to emphasize again, I am a Malayan sun bear, not a black bear, not a dog. I am a sun bear. The video of the bear standing and interacting with tourists circulated widely online after a 15-second clip was posted on Douyin, the Chinese version of TikTok, on July 27th. Trending topics on the subject attracted millions of views on the platform as people questioned whether or not the bear was a human in disguise given its behavior as well as the visible folds of fur on its body that resembled humans wearing ill-fitting clothes. A tweet writes from Derek Guy, he writes on Twitter, um, or should I call it X? He X'd this tweet, fucking dumb. Wrinkly seat happens when the back rise is too long. Requires a tailor to shorten the back rise by pinning the pants up to the waistband, removing excess material, and then dropping the crotch seam so as to not give the wearer a wedgie. <laughs> That's his notes for the weird sunbear. <laughs> it does look like a costume. I, I, I've got to give it to you when you look at that, but when you see the face, yeah, it's crazy. An expert told NBC News that such speculation was unfounded. The animal in the video is a sun bear, for sure, he said. Uh, the man's name was Wong Su Tae, a wildlife biologist and the founder of the Bornean Sun Bear Conservation Center in Malaysia. He has been researching the animal for about 25 years. Sun bears could be very human-like, he said. They stand like humans and walk like humans, adding that sun bear mothers could carry babies in their hands and walk on their hind legs. I never thought it could be a human in disguise, said Gino Liu, a previous visitor to Hangzhou Zoo, speaking, in a, speaking via a messaging app. It is a bear, but it really does look like a human. Hangzhou Zoo declined NBC's news request for a phone interview, saying that it only welcomes... <laughs> in-person interviews. But in an audio recording posted by Chinese state media, an employee denied the allegation, saying that human beings cannot last for a few minutes in a fursuit under the high temperatures in the area in the summer. Sun bears are the smallest of the bears, standing most at 1.3 meters tall, which is 51 inches, while other species can stand at most at 2.8 meters, which is uh, 110 inches. Sorry, 2.8 meters, which is 110 inches tall on their hind legs, according to the zoo. Yeah, I saw a, um, uh, a diagram of all the different bear species. Sun bears are like shorter than most people. Um, they're very, they're very short. Whereas like a polar bear, which is the biggest when they're on their hind legs, they can see into like a second story uh, building. That's, it's, it's wild. The number of sun bears shrank by over 30% in the past 30 years, according to the World Wildlife Fund. They are listed as a vulnerable animal on the red list created by the International Union for 
for conservation of nature. Sun bears are the least known bears in the world, Wong said. I believe this incident could call people's attention on how sun bears may look like humans and hopefully could let people know that they are endangered species because of human activities, he added, citing large-scale deforestation and hunting. The animal rights group PETA, oh, here we go, said that the incident shows how all zoo animals, including bears, should be moved to sanctuaries and wildlife preservations that prioritize the well-being of all animals. Okay, sure, PETA. These highly intelligent... I'm going to do a... Yeah, hold on. This is a Peter person. Um, These highly intelligent and social beings deserve to live free and thrive in their natural environment, not use as spectacles for human entertainment. I don't like Peter. I don't know if you're guessing that. Jason Baker, Peter's Asia vice president, said in a statement on Tuesday, Previously, other zoos in China had been criticized for dyeing their togs to look like wolves. There you go. Larissa Gao wrote this article. Thank you, Larissa Gao. Yeah, look, there's not a lot to say. They're not people in bear suits. Come on, stop being silly. But it was a fun little um, animal-related story that we got to have um, in the news for a little bit. I felt very important for a bit. When is the news going to start using me as a source, huh? If anyone has any news, um, you know, contacts, uh, tell them to interview me when this sort of shit happens. I'll tell them. I'll set them straight. Wouldn't it be funny if I went on TV and lied about something? They think I'm an expert, but I'm just a guy with a podcast. I think that would be great. Let's move on to another story. This one was sent in by a listener named Brayson. Brayson, a day one listener of the show and a big pal of the program, a absolute beast of the broadcast, Brayson is. Uh, He sent me in a few stories, and today we're talking about another otter attack. These have happened a lot. A rare otter attack injures three women floating on the popular Montana River. This is from Nine News in Australia, so... uh, I know people who work here. Interview me. Okay, here's the story. It's written by by the Associated Press. We don't have a, a byline there. Okay. A rare attack by a river otter in southern Montana injured three women floating on inner tubes and inflicted wounds serious enough that one victim had to be airlifted to hospital, authorities said on Thursday. The attack happened near the town of Cardwell on a remote stretch of the Jefferson River, a tributary of the Missouri River that's popular with anglers and recreational floaters. <laughs> that's a recreational floater. I've never heard of that. Is there a way to float and it not be recreational? I don't know. At least one otter swam up to the adult woman at about 8.15pm on Wednesday and attacked them, said Morgan Jacobson with Montana Fish and Wildlife and Parks. The women were able to get to shore, where one of them called 911. One woman's wounds on her face and arms were so severe that a helicopter was used to fly her out, Jefferson County Under Sheriff James Everett said. Her condition on Thursday was unknown. The others had injuries to their arms. It's just not something you run into very often, Everett said. Bears do it, moose too, and occasionally a deer, but otters? That's not normal. Jacobson said that one of the women saw two otters beforehand, but was unclear how many were involved in the attack. Northern River otters are members of the weasel family and can reach up to nine kilograms, as heavy as a small dog, and up to 1.2 meters long. That is quite long. They primarily eat fish. They can use their teeth and claws to bite and scratch, Jacobson said. If folks are attacked by an otter, our recommended response is to fight back. Get away here. Fight back. Beat the shit out of that otter. Get away from it and get out of the water, he said. Warning signs were posted at access points along the Jefferson River in the area of the attack. 
No otters have been there since Wednesday, and there were no, and there will be no efforts to catch or remove any of the animals because it is believed to have been a defensive attack, he said. Two years ago, a 12-year-old boy on an inner tube was attacked but not seriously hurt by an otter on Montana's Big Hole River. <laughs> Big Hole. Last month in California, oh, we talked about this. Last month in California, a sea otter gained widespread attention for aggressively wrestling surfboards from surfers on the coast of Santa Cruz. Yeah, we talked about that. Something's going wrong with the otters recently, guys. Interesting. Very interesting story. Thank you, Brayson, for sharing that one with me. Of course, if you have any Scratch of the Day stories that you see, feel free to share them with me best way to do that is probably to go onto the instagram at man in podcast or uh, at jimothy chaps i will respond to you always until i'm super famous and then you can go fuck yourself okay final final story uh pennsylvania man bitten on the head by a bear during attack in his garage i've got to say it's a long headline but it sounds like a real juicy story so let's jump into that one this is by sorry the news organization by abc news america I just said, America, ABC News, America, because there's an ABC News in Australia. It doesn't matter. Okay. (laughs) Pennsylvania man bitten on the head by bear during attack in his garage. A Pennsylvania man says he's paying a lot more attention to his surroundings after a surprise attack by a bear in his garage of his home. This happened in Danville, PA. A Pennsylvania man, uh, I've just read the same thing twice. A Pennsylvania man says he's paying a lot more attention to his surroundings after a surprise attack by a bear in the garage of his home. John Schwartz, or John Swartz, there's no SH, Swartz, 60, and his wife, Laurie, 59, were watching TV at their home outside Danville on the evening of July 27th when he remembered that he had to go and turn off a hose that he'd left running to fill an inflatable pool. So he walked into the two-car garage where the shutoff valve was located, unaware that a bear had wandered in a minute earlier. The next thing he knew, he said, he was thrown against shelving units, heard a growl, and immediately knew it was a bear. When he turned to flee, the bear bit him on the head. Holding his injured head, he stumbled back towards the house, but surveillance video later showed a second encounter with the animal. Thankfully, the bear didn't retaliate when I tripped over him, he told the Sunbury Daily item. (laughs) That's a bad news. (laughs) That's a bad magazine name, if that's a magazine. His wife, hearing a scream, met him at the door and quickly called 911 as he tried to stop the bleeding. Looking at the window while waiting for the ambulance, he saw the 250-pound, 114-kilogram for the normal people, uh, tall, thin animal ambling by their RV. At the hospital, doctors confirmed that his head injuries were superficial bite marks. His His shirt, which had two large paw prints on the shoulders, was taken by the Pennsylvania Game Commission officer for DNA testing. The Game Commission also set up a trap baited with donuts to try and catch the animal. Oh, that's so cute. Why donuts? Why would donuts work better than like a steak? I don't know. It would work on me. I really like a donut. I'm very hungry. I would like a donut. Anyway, it's understandable. It's very understandable as to why it did what it did. John Schwartz told Wolf TV. <laughs> I am I surprised it. It had one way out and it was through me. Well, it's very that's very reasonable of this guy. Nowadays, however, he and his wife are much more careful around the home after dark. We look really well before we go outside now, especially if it's around 8:30 or later. I'm cautious. <laughs> Well, there we go. That's a good story to end on. Nothing terrible happened. I mean, he got bit on the head. Not great, but he's not fucking dead. Could have been worse. You know, our scratch of the day today was not too bad. No one died. It was a great week. 
Lovely, lovely jubbly. Yeah, uh, I'm <laughs> I'm honestly done <laughs> with a scratch of the day. That is great stories. Um, yeah, and uh, as I mentioned before, you can send your uh, suggestions in. I love to read them. Um, what do you guys think? Do you think we need to make the scratch of the day longer? Is three stories too short? Should we go five? Ah, I might ask that question on uh, on the Instagram. So go follow that so you can vote in that poll. Okay, let's move on to our final segment of the day. It's the beastly biography. So the Beastly Biography, guys, it's the opportunity for us to look at a, a little-known animal, an animal we don't get to cover much on the show, and talk about its biology, okay? So today, we're talking about an animal that, honestly, I didn't even know existed. We're talking about an animal It's very cute, and it's called the Bush Dog. But it has several other names, also known as the Savannah Dog, Zorito Vinagare, uh, also Perro de Agua, which means the Water Dog. Isn't that cute? Perro de Agua. Um, the Bush Dog. It's a canine found in Central and South America. It is very rare in most areas except for Suriname, Guyana, and Peru. And it was first identified uh, by Peter Wilhelm Lund from fossils in Brazilian caves and was believed to be extinct. The bush dog is the only living species of its genus and its closest living relative is the maned wolf of Central South America and the African wild dog, which we've talked about before. So I want you to Google this because it's such a cute, it's a really cute looking animal. It's like a kind of like weasel, Tasmanian devil, uh, uh, dog kind of hybrid looking thing. It's very cute. The adult bush dog has long, soft, brownish tan fur with a lighter reddish tinge on the head, neck and back and a bushy tail, while the underside is dark, sometimes with a lighter throat patch. Younger individuals, however, have black fur over their entire bodies. They have short legs relative to their body, as well as a short snout and relatively small ears. The teeth are adapted from their, for their carnivorous diets. Bush dogs have partially webbed toes, which allow them to swim more efficiently. So let's talk about where, where they're from. We mentioned uh, Central America and South America. And that's pretty accurate. They do apparently live on the North North America, but I don't see any countries in that list. The countries that they're known to, to live in are Bolivia, Brazil, Colombia, Ecuador, Guyana, Panama, Paraguay, Peru, Suriname, and Venezuela. Uh, it lives in neotropical areas, uh, tropical moist forests, tropical savanna, tropical dry forests, and temperate grasslands. Um, uh so it's an elusive and rare species, and there is very little information about its behavior, as it's been known to be very difficult to locate in the wild to observe. Much of what we know about this species is due to studying captive populations, as well as reports of observations of the dogs made in wild. Bush dogs tend to be active during the day, and they are associated with the water with most observations of them being in or close to water sources. At night, these animals rest in a den, which could be inside the trunk of a fallen tree or an abandoned armadillo nest. Bush dogs live within social groups of as many as 12 individuals. When hunting, at least two individuals are seen together, typically when hunting for large rodents. However, in more open areas, it seems that bush dogs will hunt alone for small rodents. Hunting in packs, they are able to kill prey much larger than themselves, including capybaras. Oh, capybara. This species produces a wide range of contact calls, perhaps because of communication by visual means is not easy in the forest. These animals are carnivores, and they prey mostly on large rodents such as Acuchias, Pacas, and Agutis. No, don't know what any of those are. And sometimes large animals such as rheas and capybaras. 
Would you like to know some uh, fun facts for kids about this? Uh, the bush dog species is so rare that in the past it was thought to have been extinct. That's interesting. They were first discovered by means of fossil records in caves in Brazil, and having never been witnessed prior to this, they were thought to no longer exist. These animals have shown that teamwork and intelligence are the best ways to secure a good meal. When a pack is hunting the packer, a group will divide into two. One half will chase the packer on land, while the other half waits in the water, which is where the packer will usually attempt to escape. That is very clever. Bush dogs make some strange calls, and even though they are shy animals, they can be rather vocal when necessary, being one way they communicate with each other and warn each other of danger. The young of a bush dog is called a pup or a whelp. The female is a bitch. Oh, jeez. And, and a male dog is a dog or a sire. A group of bush dogs is a pack or a litter if they are young. A gang, a kennel, or a legion. Oh, a legion is good. A bunch of female bush dogs would be a legion of bitches. I love that. A legion of bitches. Um, I'm trying to think of some kind of joke to do with that legion of bitches line but i can't it can't not be sexist so i'm not going to do it the reddish coloring of bush dogs may be the reason for their other nickname which is zorro meaning fox isn't that cute uh they also have the nickname of vinegar dog because they smell like vinegar <laughs> that is a, such an interesting one attack on at the end i don't know why they smell like vinegar but apparently they do can i find any information about that <laughs> no no, I can't. Okay, well, they smell like vinegar for whatever reason. Um, there you go. The Bush Dog. Guys, gals, and my non-binary pals, thank you for listening about The Bush Dog. I hope you learned a little bit. I certainly did. Gang, that's going to do it for our episode today. Thank you so, so much for listening. Uh, I hope you found all the information about the cephalopods exciting, and I hope you're keen for our next episode next week, the Killer Cryptid episode on the Kraken. I'm really excited to get into that one and um, uncover the truth on this elusive and mysterious beast, um, which has its tentacles both in real life and in fiction and folklore. Uh, so yeah, thank you so much for listening, gang. A few things before we go, I would like to thank a very special person, a new person who has subscribed onto the Patreon, a lovely human being named Marcy. I want to give Marcy a shout out. Thank you so much for joining us over on the Patreon. If you would like to be a badass bitch like Marcy, I mean that in a respectful way, please do not cancel. Please, I'm so sorry. If you'd like to be a beast of the broadcast like Marcy, you can head over to Patreon, patreon.com slash maneaters and just check it out. You know, it's not expensive. Um, and yeah, all, you don't even have to do it. Just go have a look and you can decide if it's for you or not. That's fine. Also a little, it hasn't come out yet. I'm not, I'm in the early stages of it, but I'm thinking we might have some man in his merch coming out pretty soon. So keep an eye on that. Um, I'm thinking some t-shirts, maybe a drink bottle or two, that kind of stuff would really be cool. Something casual and nice, but a great way to support the show, uh, which is like you get something back out of it. So obviously the Patreon is great. You get some perks, but if you would like to buy something, which could also help me out, that's also on the list as well. Another really exciting update gang is we are dangerously close to 5,000, 50,000 streams, um, which is insane. I'm so excited. I think we're going to hit that within the week. So listen to an old episode to help us get there faster. Uh, and last thing, just a favor to ask, if you listen to this podcast on Apple podcasts, I'd like you to go and give us a review. 
Uh, five stars, please. We currently have five stars, but that's only because two people have reviewed it and one of them was a, a really good friend of mine. Um, so please, please do that if you are on Apple. I know most people listen to it on Spotify. I listen to all my podcasts on Spotify, but if you are on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, um, please leave a, a review for me. It really does help me out. A Spotify, you can do the same as well. I think we've got over 100 reviews now, but we're sitting at like a 4.3, which I'm not happy about, guys, but that's up from a 4.1. So keep giving me five-star reviews everywhere you can. I can't express how much that helps out and yeah thank you so much guys um as always if you want to reach out you can email me at manitispod at gmail.com or you can message me on instagram instagram uh, at manitispodcast or at jimothy chaps and as i mentioned before the patreon patreon.com slash manitis all good stuff always in the description below have a fantastic week everyone i will see you next week for an episode on the kraken and please for the love of christ stay safe out there folks because as we've learned it's a jungle out there